Hey, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, just like I'm doing now. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, founder and president of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the company behind this podcast and other great programs like Journey to Esquire Scholarship and Leadership Program, which provides $2,000 cash scholarships to third-year law students and internships to second-year law students, along with leadership training and mentors. And Journey to Esquire, the blog, which provides insightful articles to help navigate you through law school and beyond. Find out more on our website, www.journeytoesquire.com. Hi, welcome back to Journey to Esquire, the podcast. I'm Jocelyn Hardrick, the founder and director of Diversity Access Pipeline, Inc., the nonprofit corporation behind Journey to Esquire, the podcast, and our other great programs, Journey to Esquire, the scholarship and leadership program, and Journey to Esquire, the blog. Today, we have a guest named Elaine L. Thompson. We're passing the mic to her today to discuss her journey to Esquire. Elaine has been practicing law since 1989, and she began her practice with the Florida Attorney General's Office in Tampa doing criminal appeals. And she has been practicing now for more than 25 years. But when she first went to law school, she decided to focus her practice on what um, she was really interested in, which is constitutional law claims, civil liberties, disability rights, education rights, and individual property rights, which is what she does now. And um, in addition to doing appeals, Elaine provides litigation support to trial lawyers and simplified estate planning. Welcome, Elaine. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about your journey to Esquire. Why did you decide to become a lawyer? When I was in junior high school, I took a class, a gifted program class, and the teacher decided that he would talk about law because they get to pick the topic. And in that experience, this is in the 70s, I was the only black student in the class and they picked on me. Uh, they said the most racist, vile things and the teacher would never defend me, never. And so I begged to get out. He threatened me to get out. I told him I didn't care. He gave me a C. I had all A's and one C. And the last nine weeks, another set of teachers went and defended me and said, if you don't change that girl's grade, we're going to go to the principal and happens the principal was black. So ultimately, I got the grade I deserved, but it wasn't because I got it because I deserved it. It was because somebody had to defend me. When I got to high school, another person who seemed to make the profile, a white Jewish man, asked me to take his law class. <laughs> and I was thinking, no, ma'am, I already had to suffer to get out of one of these. <laughs> but he talked to me every week almost a year and a half and he was just the nicest person and so on my senior year I jumped in his class it was called law in the supreme court and I discovered oh my god the law can actually help people <laughs> the way it was portrayed to me in ninth grade and the way I was taught in 12th grade it was totally different 
And so sometimes I say the way something is presented to you can be a turnoff. And when you learn more about it, because you open your mind to the possibilities, you can discover that you actually could do this and that you could like it. And so that's how I ended up liking law and constitutional law. That is a great story. I took a constitutional law class in high school too and absolutely loved it. The same reasons okay. that you said, you see it. Wow, they're changing the trajectory of people's lives with these cases. Um, yes. But also, yeah, some people, especially a lot of um, our audience members, may have had negative interactions with law enforcement and lawyers in their lives, whether it was from criminal issues or family law issues, and so it could turn them off. And so they have to stay open to the possibility. Yes. So we're hoping that this podcast can be another viewpoint for them. So let's fast forward to, uh, I guess you graduate from college and you're deciding to go to law school. What was your law school application process like? Um, I started my junior year, at the end of my junior year, I knew I didn't want to be an accountant, <laughs> which was my major at the time. And I thought sitting in a room, trying to find that other penny for the spreadsheet, I would go nuts. <laughs> so I decided, what am I going to do? So immediately I said, what can I do to keep all these credits that are in accounting? Because I've now taken five accounting classes and four statistics classes. And I know how to move money and I know how to calculate stuff, but I need to get a job that I would actually like. And I like law school because I really like that class of constitutional law. I changed my major to general business management. All of those accounting credits became electives. <laughs> and I started looking for money. So I had a privilege. When I started looking for money, one of the people in the College of Business, his daughter had just applied to law school a year ahead of me. And so when I went to him for help, he knew what to help give me in terms of advice, the structure, the process. He sat down and he talked with me. I asked him to give me a recommendation. And he picked up the phone and he called somebody while I sat there. And I'm like, who is he talking to? Why is he telling this person all of my business? And it turns out his line brother in college was the executive director of the NAAC Legal Defense Fund. And they were giving out the scholarship that I was interested in having him write a rec recommendation. So I ended up getting that. I got Cleo, I got Earl Warren. So I had, I think three scholarships and then I got one when I got to law school. So I, I was rolling in the dough. <laughs> um, I applied really early. I applied in August for the next year. I applied to probably 10 schools, maybe eight, and I got into all of them. So I was privileged in that I had choices. But I think that came because soon as I discovered I didn't really want to be an accountant, I started putting all my effort into how to get into law school and how to pay for it and come out and not have a bunch of student loans. So I had a, I had a strategy. Yes, and that is what you need, a really good strategy in applying. And some people, you know, they're like, it was a whim, and they applied to one school, and they lucked out and got in. But if you're like us, and you're like, I really want to be a lawyer, this is a thing I'm really trying to pursue, a strategy is important. And um, I was in Clio also. So Clio, I know really? this recently celebrated over 50 years, yeah. I was in their pre-law institute, their six-week program. And um, went to all their events during law school. I loved it, loved it. And this is Cleo's one of the organizations I modeled 
journey to Esquire after because of and my great experience there. And Cleo changed a lot between the time that you attended and I attended because when I attended, we didn't have to pay anything. Um, they paid all our expenses to be on campus for six weeks. And um, my program that year was at Emory. And Emory was one of the schools where I had been accepted, but I had rejected. <laughs> and so I couldn't figure out why they accepted me into the Clio program. And she told me quite frankly, she, she brought me in to recruit me. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's good, but I'm still going to Tulane. And of course, you know, my law degree is from, Saint, from Florida State. So while I was at Emory, Florida State came and said, uh, the recruiter came and said, the dean sent me here to get you. And I was like, really? What kind of scholarships you have? <laughs> so she offered me a scholarship. I said, I'll take that. What else you got? And she offered me some more money. I said, I'll take that. And she offered me a 0% interest. I said, you mean like give you back the money? Oh, no, I don't take give you back the money. <laughs> That's too <So>, funny. <laughs> and I went to Florida State, too, and had a similar story. <laughs> Look at that. So that's how I ended up at Florida State. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up with four scholarships um, because I negotiated. Yes. Um, each time I negotiated, I figured, I figured they need me on their campus. And it's a mindset, and it always was. And I tell this to high school students today. If they want me on their campus because I'm a woman and because I'm a black woman or because I'm black, I'm going to always be a woman. I'm going to always be black and I'm going to always be a black woman. And all of that is coming to campus with me. So if you want to bid for me to make you look good, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I have a similar story. I had several schools. I applied in New York and Florida. I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. But the dean called me up and said, hey, I want to meet you. Come on to Tallahassee. I will meet with you personally on a Saturday. <laughs> And so, yeah, when they're serious about having um, students and filling seats, whatever the criteria is, they will show it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was able to negotiate a higher scholarship as well because I told them, hey, I would love to come here, but I was out of state at the time. So I said, you know, this other school's giving me this much. And so when I calculate the total cost of attendance, you know, I need this school to do a little better so that I can justify coming here. And that's what they did. And so um, you do have to negotiate. It's really important that students understand that. But you have to be in a position we were in, where we have multiple offers and we are we have something <laughs> to negotiate with. So be careful. If that's the only school you, you got into and you really want to go, don't push the limits too far. But understand that there is some room for negotiation. So um, now that you're in Florida State, did you enjoy your law school experience? Actually, I was probably one of the few who did <laughs> at the time. I, like I said, I had a lot of scholarships, so I didn't have to work, but I did. So um, starting my first summer, before I got to law school, I went to Clio. Well, me and the dean, we kind of became buddies. So the next summer, I was offered the opportunity to return to Clio as a teaching assistant. So I was back at Emory, but I got a job in Tallahassee. So I told my supervisor, listen, if you hire me, I'm going to go to Atlanta for six weeks, but I'm going to come back. And she said, well, I respect the fact that you appreciated yourself enough and appreciated this opportunity to tell me you're going to come back. So the whole time after my first year of law school, that first summer, I went to Atlanta, came back, and I worked at a state agency the next two years while I was in law school. So I had those scholarships. I had the money from working. 
I lived right across the street from the law school, so I went to all of the concerts at the Civic Center. When Stevie Wonder started touring in Florida again, I was close enough to see him sweat. <laughs> I went to see uh, Rosa Parks as a speaker. I saw Chuck Yeager as a speaker. So I did sports, I did speaking engagement, I did law related, I did you know historical figures. So I enjoyed law school. I had more fun in law school than I did in undergrad. <laughs> that's a, that's definitely a first that I've heard. Um, yeah, I, I you know I'm very intellectually curious, and I felt like a lot of people were there just kind of going through the motions. But I did like things like mock trial. I loved Balsa and going to all their events um, nationally. Um, but you know, some people it's for some people it's just a grind, and they just want to get it over with. Either way. Get your JD, <laughs> finish that journey to Esquire. And then, of course, everyone is looking for a job. So you started at the Florida um, Attorney General's Office. Can you talk about what your job search was like after law school? So when I was in law school, um, like so many others, I was given an opportunity to do clinical internships. And so I did, too, um, because I had already been clerking at a state agency I was a law clerk and I was just a paper pusher who did all the research and drafted complaints and got the evidence together. So I did that portion of it, but I wasn't doing any speaking and I didn't know if I wanted to be in a courtroom or not in a courtroom. So I did an internship at the state attorney's office in Miami and that went really well and it was a lot of fun. Um, I got to try a case. I was fortunate because I didn't have to go to misdemeanor. They let me go directly to felony as an intern. Um, so that was pretty cool. And then the next semester, I went and I interned at the Attorney General's office. So I went from both, both of the side of prosecution, but one was a trial environment and one was appellate. And so you can see the whole case from the beginning to the end. And so that was really a good experience. When I finished law school, I started doing like everybody else. I started interviewing for all of the private entities. And then I thought about it, I was like, you know what, Elaine? you really don't wanna work there. <laughs> And so you have to figure out what works for you, not chase whatever people tell you to chase or don't chase. I just had to figure out what did I wanna do? I didn't have student loans because I had so much scholarships. So I was like, I can actually go do what I wanna do. So I got an offer from the agency where I clerked. I got an offer from the state attorney's office in Miami. And then I got an offer from the attorney general's office. So all of the places where I had worked in legal capacity offered me a job and I decided um, I don't like public speaking, <laughs> so I don't want to be a trial lawyer. So doing appeals, I can hide behind my words. So that's how I became an appellate attorney with the Attorney General's Office. I hide behind your work. That's a different way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people have said they like litigation, but they don't want to be in the courtroom and arguing and picking juries. So appellate work is definitely a great way to get involved with litigation and not have to deal with some of the uh, performance aspects, right? It's more the re researching, the writing, piecing together a puzzle, um, and definitely something we want to encourage our listeners to look into more because um, as we were saying prior to getting on, you know, diversity in the appellate law field is, um, could use a boost from what I understand. I don't do that work but I've heard that from other people. So what advice would you offer to new and future law students? Well, the thing that pretty much turned me off to the world of appeals was my first year class. You know, you have the first year legal research and writing 
and they require you to write a brief. Well, for me, the instructions that were given were very unclear. And it was, it was hard for me to conceptualize what a brief would actually look like. And so what we were told is you can't get help from anybody. That's what I remembered. But in terms of how it actually plays out, that's not the whole story. What she really should have said was you cannot get help in doing your research or in specific aspects of the project. But I understood it to be I couldn't get any help. So all I had was a document to look at and I didn't know how they came to, to put the issues together and I just was trying to struggle to figure out, you know, how do I get this? She gave us a case and said, you know, write a brief on this side or write it on this side. She gave us a fact pattern and a case we needed to find and what else to work around it. And so I struggled with how to actually write a brief. Fast forward to my internship and I actually saw briefs. I was like, oh man, if they had shown me this a long time ago, I could have knocked that brief out. So I, as a part of my internship, we were required to write four briefs for over the course of the semester. The student who was the other intern, same time, and myself, we both ended up writing eight. <laughs> we did a lot of brief writing because it was just like, wow, if somebody had just told me this. So fast forward later on, one of my neighbors, my neighbor growing up behind me, literally her mom and my mom, backyards were right together. And she kept saying, I'm thinking about going to law school. So finally I talked her into applying. Finally I talked her into going to Florida State. <laughs> and then when she got there, I happened to be in Tallahassee. She's an English teacher and she's struggling with how to write her appellate brief. So I said to her, the instructions you're being given is unclear. And so I cleared up for her what somebody didn't do for me. And I said, she says, well, if I restructure this, then what's gonna happen is I might be a bit late. I said, I'd rather take five points to be late and get an A product than to turn it in with a C because right now it's spaghetti and you need a four course meal. Wow. And that was it. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I remember that brief. It is unclear. And when they, and you know, you don't even know what to ask. Like what, I don't, what do you mean I can't get help? And where do I find the cases? And it's just, it's very strange. And then, you know, of course there's the whole grading system which is curved. And so they wanna make sure they're mm -hmm. able to have a curve. And so students just need, if you're a law student or if you're thinking about law, understand that the grades are a partial reflection of your knowledge and understanding, but not your intelligence. You came in really smart. You're still smart when you're there. You'll be smart when you graduate, but you're trying to learn this new way of doing something. And so ask questions. If something really isn't clear, it's okay to ask questions. That part, if somebody had told me that, that was like a whole new world. And the other thing that I remembered that made it all make sense was I took a class my last semester called statutory interpretation. I think that should be included the first semester because once I took that class, everything made sense. <laughs> All of it made sense. How you read a case, how you interpret rules that they don't tell you about. I mean, just everything made sense. And I was like, this is just out of sequence. This shouldn't be an elective and it shouldn't be something you take at the end because it gives so much context to what they're telling you at the beginning that it would make it so much easier for us to be better writers. It tells you how to interpret. It tells you 
the structure of how the courts are going to look at some certain certain sort of argument. Um, just things that intuitive you just wouldn't know. So I think that we're good writers. We just need some advice on how to structure it in a legal environment because yes. it's actually a different type of writing. Yes, it is. And that's what you have to understand. You came in probably a pretty good writer, but it's like learning a new language, right? So if you learn Spanish or German, your writing will suffer because you're trying to learn the language while you're trying to write in that language. And so um, it takes a lot of work. I do statutory interpretation with my students in my criminal law class because that's a, one, a first year course. They never like it, but I'm like, it, it's gonna make sense because so much of criminal law now is statutorily based, not this common law love stuff we're learning. So we need you to learn what you need for the bar exam. We need you to learn what you need for practice as well. And so now this is the part, my favorite part where we transition to talking about diversity and inclusion and access, leadership, service, all the great things that um, Journey to Esquire stands for and is trying to spread throughout the legal industry. And so we want to talk about this great program that you just started. Can you tell us about You Be the Judge and its um, follow-up series as well? Over here in Tampa, I discovered that there are a lot of people, particularly Black women, who didn't know who they could go to for help and advice. They just didn't see the judges as accessible. Well, the judges see themselves as absolutely accessible and that the lawyers are not coming for help. So it was a disconnect to me. And I'm at the age, I'm closer to the age of most of the judges. <laughs> And as I get to talk to some of the newer lawyers, and I won't say necessarily younger, because some are young and some are older, um, I just discovered that they had this perception of what happens to a person when they start wearing a black robe. <laughs> and I'm like, no, they just, they just have job. That's a different set of job duties. But they're the same people who went to law school with you, who you know, go to church with you, who are doing community service projects. So I decided that one of the things we should do is to connect the two. So that's where the UB to Judge series came in. So tell us more about how the series happens. Like, what is it that you're doing? How do you get invitations to it? And, and what has happened during the series? So the first thing I did was I started just trying to find the names of Black women lawyers in the Tampa Bay area. And I included six counties because most of us now move between counties, those of us who take up cases from outside of a particular corporate entity. So I discovered that I was thinking maybe there was 200 or so black women lawyers, and I think we're closer to 400. I was really stunned. <laughs> and I started just contacting people and saying, hey, do you know any black women lawyers who practice in Pasco, Pinellas, Polk, Manatee, Hillsboro, or Sarasota, the six counties I consider um, Tampa Bay. And I just started reaching out and reaching out and asking people, hey, you know, this is what I want to do. Do you want to be a part of the series? Um, I then reached out to the judges and I always reach out to Justice Quince because whatever she says yes, then it seems like some of the other judges, judges automatically say, well, we're going to do it too. So she's always my first go-to person. And since she hired me out of law school, 
you know, we have this relationship I'm like, Peggy, this is what I want to get done. Can you help me? And she says, absolutely. So I invited the 15 black women judges in those six counties to be a part. And 12 of them said yes. And um, some of them had never heard of me. <laughs> and so I started doing what I do, call, text, write, email, until, and call their friends or other judges and say, can you tell her to take my call <laughs> or respond to my email? And um, they, they responded. So that's how the series, and then I needed moderators. So I don't want the old guard because we pretty much know many of the judges. So I wanted the newer attorneys. So I picked lawyers who have been practicing five years or less, and I paired them with a judge that they didn't already know. I wanted to make sure it was somebody that they didn't already have a relationship because part of the process is to build relationships and to build a mentoring relationship or some sort of communication where I can pick up the phone and call this person in the future. Or in the, in the case of some other the way it can go on the reverse side is if somebody calls a judge and say, hey, do you know a lawyer that practices in this area? The judge can say, oh, I know Jocelyn. She does, you know, personal injury and you can give her a call. So I thought it was a good way to build relationships. Um, and then there are people who want to become judges. And I thought that they can see that the judges today were just like them yesterday. <laughs> people from all different walks of life. Nobody did it the same way as some other judge. Some people studied, some people were recruited. Either way, the point was to get the conversation flowing and it's been fantastic. Yeah, I've been getting the invitations. I haven't been able to make them. Luckily, I know a lot of the judges. Thankfully, I appeared before them. I worked before one of them. And I was so happy to see the names of some of the students. We had Jamima Pierre-Zetran, who was one of our graduates. She was in our pilot class, and she was one of the moderators. And um, I recognized the names of all the judges. And, you know, one, one day I was at, like, the, the Florida Bar Conference, I think, chatting with some judges that I knew because I clerked at the Middle District of Florida. And another attorney came up to me and said, are you a judge? I should have been calling you judge all this time. I said, no, ma'am, I just know them. She said, but you're just talking to them like you know them. I'm like, I do know them. <laughs> but even as an ex, she was like a partner at a law firm, but she still had this sense like judges are over there, lawyers are over here, right. and we do not mingle. But, you know, the law is hier hierarchical, but if you're not in the courtroom, it's okay <laughs> to interact right. with them and, and call them. Like even you calling Justice Quits Peggy might have like people like, oh, yeah, I guess that is our first name, but we're so used to calling her Justice Quince. It's like, we always see her that way. But um, it can create a barrier to connections, like you said. Right. So now there's a part two. So tell us about part two. And um, I'm excited to be a part of this um, right. second iteration. So one of the things you mentioned in the intro was the dearth of appellate lawyers who are black lawyers. And that doesn't just extend to the appellate law practice it also extends to the legal education environment. I can remember distinctly my three years of law school, I just had zero black women instructors or professors, three years. In fact, I don't remember one being there. I remember there being two males, but no women whatsoever. And so as we get more and more black women into the legal profession, getting us into and through the profession starts as getting into and through law school. So to me, it's important to have somebody on that campus 
who looks like us, who understands what it is to be a black single mother, <laughs> um, who understands what it is to not have all of their ducks in a row. I did not get a car until I was in my second year of law school, okay? There are people who have cars in high school. So if you take this person who got a car in 11th grade as soon as they got their license at 16, and you go to me who gets a car at 22, <laughs> you know, that's a big economic difference. And so my life was totally different from those people who were in the seat next to me. Um, and so I realized, you know, there's somebody who probably had a lifestyle closer to mine, who didn't have all the opportunities, whose parents may not have been lawyers or professionals or worked at GM, but they fought their way through the environment. They're really good with, at what they, they're doing. And so all of a sudden I said, there's somebody at every law school here in Florida. So I know I couldn't get everybody in and I know I can't let the series run forever. So I picked environments, I picked positions. So for example, our first speaker is the Dean at Stetson. What is she gonna talk about? Hiring, <laughs> retention, um, scholarships, admissions, the things that get you into the door on the campus of the law school, whether as a student or as an employee. Then I have somebody who's going to speak to the, the back end of that. When you finish law school, taking the bar exam. <laughs> you know, somebody who does bar prep. I have someone who's going to be talking about um, job search with career opportunities. So I pick different people who work at different law schools. But critically, I included somebody who works at a law school who teaches legal research and writing. <laughs> so. Very important, because I remember the one thing I kept hearing when I would go to especially BALSA panel discussions where the lawyers were there and were share, became partners and shareholders. And I heard this multiple times. Every time we're in a board meeting trying to decide applicants and they realize that the person is black, the first question is, can that person write? And there's just this presumption that we can't write. And like you said, okay. we can write, but we have to adjust our writing to fit a certain audience. And it's not very always clearly communicated to us. And so if we just get those instructions early, we can adjust. But then the, it just becomes this thing that's stuck in people's minds, right? That certain right. people can't write well. Women can't be assertive. You know, all these stereotypes. And like you said, not only is it important for, for you to see a Black woman as a professor, every student needs to see that. Because we're judges, right. we're lawyers, and they're coming in with all kinds of preconceived notions. And so it's permeating through the legal industry. So if it starts with law school with them seeing a scholar teaching them the law, then they can right. start to challenge the negative perceptions they may have about black women. Because I had a, a, a student, I mentioned my son was five at the time, and she said, you, you're old enough to have kids? I'm like, how old do you think I am? <laughs> I, I told you I've been practicing for 10 years. Like, there's no way I'm that young. But in their minds, they, in, they see someone they think as a young black woman, and so I can't be that experienced or know what I'm talking about. But right. I'm like, Man, if you go see uh, my uh, Judge Costello, we went to school together. We were on the trial team together. She, where, mm -hmm. She's younger than me. What, how would that yeah. person go, act when they go into her courtroom if they don't first interact with me? And so I, I'm just so excited about that series. I'm so happy that you took the initiative. It's very much like what I did with trying to Esquire. You see a need and you're like, all we got to do is call people and connect them. And, there's, and they, they, they're so hungry for it that it almost comes together on its own. 
And once you get a few key people to buy in, it just that kind too. of, yeah, takes, a, um, takes on a life of itself. And, you know, I've, I've been blessed to meet you through Jeeva. We've never really talked too much, but, you know, I've been in a part of Georgia Edgecombe Bar Association since 2009. So, um, and I was the secretary. That's a great position if you're new to town and you're trying to get to know lawyers. Become the secretary because, you know, you get the membership list, you get to email everybody and check people off. And that's how I got to know so many people. But it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Elaine. Thank you so much for starting that program and joining us on this podcast. Well, I want to thank you for saying yes, because I feel blessed that, you know, when you reach out to people who are not expecting the call or in this case the email and let's just get this blind email for some people they got it from a total stranger um they wrote back and they said i'm all in let me know what you need me to do and i know that when they respond in that manner it's because they understand and they see the same need that i see and they think that they can help fill the need so that we won't be thinking i've never seen a black law woman law professor the whole three years I was at any Florida law school or any other school in the nation. That won't be the experience for everybody one day. And hopefully it won't be the experience for anybody one day. So when you said yes, I was like, okay, one more. Um, (laughs) I'm checking my yeses. I got six yeses within like two days. And I called the other two people and I said, listen, I just want you to know I've got yeses from everybody else. And then they were like, okay. I'm like, yeah, don't get left out. (laughs) So It's fantastic. We have Florida State, we have FIU. So we have the top of the state, we have the bottom of the state. We have private schools, we have public schools. We have Cooley, we have Stetson, we have FAMU. I am so excited because I tried to pick, you know, I couldn't pick everybody, but I did try to pick some private, some public, different parts of the state and people who are going to um, talk to these lawyers and women, uh, well, lawyers and law students about how critical it is and what they do and how they can see themselves at some point in their career. Because I know when you went to law school, you weren't thinking about teaching law school. No, <laughs> not at all. I wanted to be in the courtroom. That's it. You can tell me nothing. <laughs> and of course, now I've done it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm over that. <laughs> so and, you can uh, see yourself in a different light. Yes, yes, yeah. that's true. And I didn't have any Black women law professors either. We had one um, black male professor, another visiting, and we were trying to recruit him. He didn't end up staying. So I'm glad FSU now has um, a black female professor in lots of um, schools around Florida and, um, and that we're, you know, able to ascend to even becoming deans like Dean Alexander. And I'm really excited to um, listen in. I haven't had a chance to meet her yet or hear. I've read all these articles about her, so I'm very excited. But, She's the um, first one. She is. I know it was a really big deal. I remember, that. <laughs> I remember the celebrations and the news articles. And so I'm really excited to hear from her. And uh, thank you again for putting that together. And thank you for You're listening welcome. to another episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. For more information, go to www.journeytoesquire.com. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode of Journey to Esquire, the podcast. Support, share, subscribe. And for more, visit www.journeytoesquire.com.